Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Hey, listen, if you don't know me, my name's Britt. I serve the church here as the lead pastor, and I want to let you know what a, what a great Sunday for you to be a guest here, because right after church, on your, on your way out of the main uh, hallway on the left, we're going to have a welcome to Sunridge. It's super short, and uh, it's just an opportunity for you to meet me, which is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, but you get to meet our staff as they trickle in, and we'll just tell you a little bit about our church. There's no, there's no hook. There's no thing that goes with it. We just love to meet the people that are visiting Sunridge and want to know more, so uh, take advantage of that. Super low-key. won't even be a half hour unless you have a lot of questions, and uh, my advice is, like in fire department training, don't ask questions. The meeting will be over quicker, so... Uh, <laughs> No, you can ask as many as you want. Um, so, uh, you know, did you know that the majority of Americans today, uh, for, most, uh, for most Americans, the Ten Commandments are not written in stone? Uh, in fact, did you know that the majority of us cannot name five of the Ten Commandments? And a study recently revealed that we know more about the ingredients in a Big Mac hamburger then we know about the Ten Commandments. For instance, more people can name the Big Mac's primary ingredient, two all-beef patties, right, that can, then can name the Sixth Commandment, which is you shall not kill. And more people know that the Big Mac has a pickle in it than know the Fifth Commandment, which is honor your father and mother. Now, I don't know how much that matters to you, that Americans know more about a hamburger than they do the Ten Commandments, but it might explain some things, right? And uh, in fact, there's a lot of misunderstanding and indeed misinformation and misuse uh, when it comes to the Ten Commandments today. So this is a great opportunity for us to change that for everyone who calls Sunridge their home church. If you're just joining us, we've been in this series, The Life of Moses, and we started at his birth, and we're continuing on right now, and now we're coming to like one of the most well-known parts of his life when he received the Ten Commandments from God. And so this summer, which summer started, did you guys know that? You haven't left on vacation yet, but you're probably all getting it in because you're going to be gone for eight weeks, right? Um, this summer, what we're going to do is we're going to do a series within a series. We're going to take each of the Ten Commandments one a week. But before we do that, what I want to do is kind of get a big picture and look at how they came to be, and that is part of what uh, Frida read this morning. So let's look at how God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. So as Frida read, the Israelites have been about three months uh, in, at the base of Mount Sinai. They've camped out there, and they're, they're waiting for God to tell them what's next. And Moses is called up the mountain by God as, as God's chosen spokesperson, just as he was uh, with Pharaoh. And God tells him what to say 
to the people in verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to Moses, God is saying this, that you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, when you picture this scene, do you picture Moses going up to the top of the mountain and then coming back down with the ten tablets? Because that's what I always did until I looked at this section of the Bible more closely. Actually, Moses goes up and down the mountain a lot of times. In fact, scholars debate how many times did he go up and down. Probably seven, that's my answer. I'll stick with it until someone shows me differently. But what we see is the people responding to this offer from God. In verse 8, all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So, they're like, so far so good, right? We're all in. This is going to be awesome. But like you and I know, I think they realize that it's a lot easier to talk the talk than to walk the walk. And this is a really big deal, that God is making this agreement with them. So Moses tells them, before they meet with God, before they get the Ten Commandments, they're to prepare themselves for it, to get their heads and their hearts in the right place. And the way he puts it, he says, you must first consecrate yourselves. And that's in verses 10 through 15. And, and here we see, like from the very beginning, before it's even kind of codified, we see some of the most traditional ceremonial practices um, that the Hebrew people have 3,500 years ago for interacting with Yahweh. He says, wash your clothes. In other words, get cleaned up and get yourself ready. Prepare your hearts. Abstain from sex even. Because God wants your full attention and focus. And he says, cordon off an area to keep yourselves back. And they're going to appreciate that in a moment. And Moses warned them not to cross over and come too close. And after three days of preparing themselves, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. So they say to Moses, you go for us. That's how it, it's like, you go tell dad that we got the car stuck in the dirt somewhere without our license. Now, why does God put on such a show for them before he reveals the Ten Commandments to them? Is he on an ego trip? Is this just a power thing for him? No, actually, it's for the benefit of the Israelites. In this astounding moment, God is giving the Israelites a glimpse of his holiness, of who he is. He's revealing just who it is that they'll be making this covenant with, Almighty God. Consider these words that the writer of Hebrews says about how we interact with God. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So how do we worship God acceptably, which means appropriately? 
in a way that is pleasing to God, with reverence, which is with caution and respect and with awe. Actually, it's with eyes cast down and humility before God. And what God is doing here is he's impress, impressing upon the Israelites how important disagreement is going to be in their relationship with God and to their own well-being. Now, next week, we're going to start looking at them one at a time, but as I mentioned, there's a great deal of misunderstanding when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Some people think they're completely archaic, that they're irrelevant and they don't apply today. They're, the Old Testament doesn't mean anything. It's all about the New Testament. People think that they're one-dimensional and simple, that they're only for upright, small-minded people. Some people believe that they were written for America. And their main purpose is to prohibit all fun. But none of that is true. So I want to introduce them to you today. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a Google Earth perspective, and we're going to get the lay of the land, and I'm just going to give you some introductory thoughts about the Ten Commandments. And I've called this message or teaching the Ten Commandments, for reading the Ten Commandments. So now you know I have ten points. So anybody need a seventh inning stretch? Okay. All right, number one, the Ten Commandments are never called the Ten Commandments in the Bible. Did you know that? The Hebrew expression, which appears there in, in the Bible, uh, occurs three times, literally means ten words. Ten words. And that's why in Exodus 20, that Exodus 20 is referred often as the Decalogue. That is, uh, Deca being the Greek word for ten, and Logos being meaning words, so ten words. That's point number one. We're almost done. <laughs> number two, the Ten Commandments reveal God's will for you and me today. Sometimes people ask me, Britt, how can I know what God wants me to do? How do, how do I know what God's will is for me, Britt? Here's one way to look at it. Live the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments are binding today. Well, you say, well, how do you know that, Britt? Well, because every one of the Ten Commandments is reinforced in the New Testament. So when people say, well, that's so Old Testament, they don't, since they're in the Old Testament, they don't apply to us anymore. Some, that's true of some things, but not the Ten Commandments. When it comes to the Ten Commandments, nothing can be further from the truth. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus never condemned the law. Jesus did give some new commandments, but he didn't abolish the old. Quite the opposite. His explanations of them made them all the more searching. Jesus applied the Ten Commandments far above the way the teachers of the law did at his time. He unpacked them in ways that showed they embraced more than just prohibiting certain behaviors. He demonstrated often that they can be taken in a positive light as well. 
The Ten Commandments are sort of like getting a gift bag. You ever get a gift bag? And, you know, it has all that tissue paper in it, and you reach in and you pull out one thing. You're like, oh, I got a thing. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, you reach in, oh, there's more. There's a gift card. And then you just keep reaching in. The Ten Commandments are kind of like that. Because when we look at them individually, here's what we're going to see. And this is number three. The Ten Commandments have a lot more to them than just face value. You're going to see that because they're foundational to all the other laws. They have depth. That's reinforced by how God delivered them in the first place. God wrote them with his own finger. These are the only laws that God actually wrote. All the rest of the law is spoken by God to Moses, or Moses is given, uh, he gives to Moses on his behalf in the form of what we call the Pentateuch today, which is the first five books of your Old Testament. Uh, From the Jewish tradition, that's called the Torah. In total, actually, there are 613 commandments. Yeah, the early rabbis counted them all. And uh, there's the ten that we'll be talking about. But then you're going to see as we move on in Exodus, there's another 42 that are called the Book of the Covenant. And we'll talk about what those are. And then there's the whole remainder of the first five books of your Bible, the books of Moses. By the way, we use the word law when we talk about this, which can make it confusing and cause misunderstanding. But the Hebrew word actually means something more like teaching or instruction. So these are the ten teachings, or the ten instructions. And they're not one-dimensional. That's why there's more to them than face value. They're foundational, and they have implications then that go deeper than just the surface level. And so you can't just read them like ten simple rules. For instance, you shall not murder. It's not just about murder. Just because you didn't kill anybody in cold blood this week doesn't mean that you fulfilled that commandment. Jesus said that if you're angry with someone without a cause, you've broken this commandment. He said if you lust on another person, you may be guilty of adultery without ever having committed the act. So if you believe that you shall not kill expresses the value that God has for human life, then doesn't it follow that that value transcends just murder? That It includes all of human life. If if human beings are so valuable to God that he prohibits us taking lives, that applies to the unborn. It applies to the Muslim. It applies to the uneducated, the impoverished. It even applies to Democrats and Republicans. (laughs) I love it that you guys can laugh about politics again. Oh, that's a little uncomfortable over there. (laughs) It's that laugh when you're not laughing. The Ten Commandments, are they're not just their surface value. That's that's why when you think, like, how can we spend a whole Sunday on one commandment? You're going to see why, because there's so much of them, and they're meant to be reflected upon and deeply rooted into our values and our behaviors. Because the Ten Commandments reveal what, who, what God is like. These are the precepts by which God wants human beings to govern themselves. It tells us what matters to God. 
They tell us what his values are. And it tells us about how God desires for us to live. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, This then is how you should pray. You know, this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the Ten Commandments, what God has done is he has described for us what the world of heaven brought to earth looks like. Can you imagine a place where people truly, in their fullest depth, lived by and embraced the Ten Commandments? That would be heaven, wouldn't it? Number four, the Ten Commandments are perfectly represented by Jesus. They're perfectly represented by Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like as a human being to live out the Ten Commandments, then see Jesus, because he is the perfect representation of them. Peter says that Jesus committed no sin, and he lived a perfect example so that we might follow in his steps. In fact, a good question to ask when thinking about the Ten Commandments is, how did Jesus live this out? I've often found that by looking at the example of Jesus, especially when it comes to like living out the Ten Commandments, it challenges me to think differently about myself, about the value that the commandment is expressing, and about others. And we'll be noting that as we go through the ten. Number five, the ten commandments are an act of recreation. They're an act of recreation. This, this really starts to get at the, you know, the intent of the ten commandments. Think about the context here. And what was happening? You have the children of Israel. They've been enslaved by the Egyptian king and people for 400 years. And so under, they've been under the rule of Pharaoh in Egyptian culture. And then God frees them. He rescues them. And he takes them out into the middle of the desert en route to the place that he has for them to be his own people. So they're in the desert. They're free. Not just from slavery, but they're free in their lives. But what do they do? They've never had these choices before. How do they govern themselves? What values are they going to live by? And what, what's happening here is that God is recreating an entirely new way of living based on their relationship with Yahweh with God. So what would that even look like? Through the Ten Commandments, God is saying, this is the way to do your new life. This is how to live under my rule and not Pharaoh's. Do you see the parallels that form in becoming a Christian today? That God rescues us. We are freed from the slavery of our old lives. Nothing that we have done. God did it all. And then God recreates us. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So, so the Ten Commandments 
are recreating a culture. They are recreating how the Israelites were to live now that they are out from under the rule of Pharaoh. Number six, the Ten Commandments then are not a list of rules, but a way of living. Sometimes when you hear people talk about the Ten Commandments, it sounds like this. Here's your policy manual. Don't break any of these rules or you're going to be in big trouble. But they're not just a list of things that we're supposed to do. If we embrace them appropriately, they're God's guidelines for living a flourishing life. I love how Psalm 19 describes them. The psalmist begins, Psalm 19, like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. You look up in the sky, you see creation, you go, God is amazing. And then in that psalm, the psalmist goes on to describe how creation speaks of the wonder of God silently. There's no words being said, but we're just blown away at who God is. Nature instructs us about God. But then he goes on to say this in verse 7 of Psalm 19, the law of the Lord also is perfect, refreshes the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You see how the psalmist describes these laws? It's not just a list of prohibitions. These make wise the simple. They're refreshing to the soul. They give joy to the heart. They're radiant, giving light to our eyes. You know, some people might have an issue with the God part of the Ten Commandments, but mostly people don't have an issue with the values of the Ten Commandments. And even if you don't believe in God, most of you embrace the principles of the Ten Commandments. Number one, most of the Western world is founded on the Ten Commandments, our values and principles. Why? Because they make sense. The world is better when the society is framed or constructed around the values that the Ten Commandments have. The Ten Commandments define a way of living that honors God and the people who are made in His image. Do you know that like, you can break your commandments into two parts? There's the vertical commandments, uh, commandments 1 through 4, and then there's the horizontal commandments, commandments 5 through 10. And those last six are based on the first four. And the truth is we need both. And Jesus summarized that when he was questioned by the Pharisees. And the, and the Pharisee asked him, like, what's the greatest commandment? What's the number one thing? What's the most important thing that we should know? Which is the biggest commandment? Is it more about the first four? Or is it more about the second grouping of six? And here's what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, not, not in priority. It's just like he's mashing them together here. They go, you can't separate them. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's vertical and there's horizontal. And then 
He says, all the law and the prophets, everything, you can just sum it up with this. They hang on these two commandments. In other words, we need all ten in order to guide our way of living. Number seven, the Ten Commandments are the basis of a covenant relationship with God. What do I mean by that? God is, like, like I said, the children of Israel out in the desert. They're no longer under Pharaoh's rule. And God is forging a covenant, an agreement with them that is entirely new. Remember, they're starting all over in this new life. And God isn't forcing this on them. With much thought and much preparation, they agree to it. You know, the Ten Commandments are a lot like a, our wedding vows. When you get married, you make an agreement. You make, an, you make a covenant with another person. You're saying, here are the rules of our relationship. Here's what you can count on me. I'm vowing this to you. I'm agreeing that this is what I'm going to do in our relationship. This is how we're going to conduct ourselves. And you know, those, those vows we make, they're, not, they're more than rules, right? They represent something much deeper than the words that we say. When Cindy and I got married, we made our vows to each other. And when I said that I would stick with her through sickness and health, I wasn't just saying we'll stay legally married, miserably and unfaithfully, but I'll keep the rule, right? The vows I made to her 44 years ago said something much deeper than those words. It meant what I was saying to her was, you have all of me. You can count on me. As perfect as, is not as perfect, that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> Man, you guys are on it. Sometimes I wonder when I have 10 points if you're still with me, but I know you're on, you're on it listening for mistakes. Thank you. Oh, geez. So, as imperfect emphasis on M, as I was, she had all of this. So you draw your own conclusions there. <laughs> By the way, where is the, where is the new covenant for the Christian today in your New Testament? It's the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus, which you will see as we unpack them are the Ten Commandments, in many cases, revised, unpacked, explained more deeply, embodied by a human being. You're going to see that. So we're coming up on number eight. Does anyone need a seventh inning stretch? Okay, we're, we're, in the home, we're not in the home stretch, but we're getting close. Number eight, the Ten Commandments are the way the Israelites distinguished themselves from other people's. So remember, this is, this is a new creation God is making, and the result is going to be that they're going to be different than the surrounding nations. And that's one of the key concepts we have to keep in mind as we, go, as we interpret the Ten Commandments. 
How will the Israelites, these people just like end up out in the desert as God's people, how will they identify themselves as different, as followers of Yahweh? The answer is by the way they live. We cannot properly understand the Ten Commandments, what, what the Ten Commandments are about, unless we look at them through the lens of this special relationship that God has with the Israelites. 19.5, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, I own it all. Those are, those are people too, and I made them too. But out of the whole earth, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, my representatives, and a holy nation. Look at the language, treasured possession, kingdoms, part of a citizens of that kingdom, priests, holy nation, peculiar, set apart, intentionally distinct from the surrounding nations. And this is a fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise that God would bless these people, first Abraham's family and then a people, so that they would reflect his image in the world and be a blessing to the nations. And that concept is reflected again in the New Testament in reference to Christians. The Apostle Peter wrote to first century Christians, believers that were living in Asia Minor, and here's what he said, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people. Look at this, the same language, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is the calling for a Christian. It's the same language that God is saying, my people will, will follow a different value system. They will look different because they are living according to a different code. And on that note, like just, just like take the next step. Who are the t Ten Commandments for? They're for the Israelites. They're meant for those who believe. Now, now track with me here. Because I realize that, especially Western culture, we've co-opted the Ten Commandments, and for the most part, as a basis for how we organize and live in society, only without the God part, which we'll talk about how impossible that is. But, but catch that they are written to those who desire to have that relationship and agree to that covenant relationship with God. In our language today, it would be those who have chosen to follow Jesus. So then, is it right then, or healthy, or helpful, to impose a covenant on those who have never agreed to it? You know, I, I'm in a marriage covenant with Cindy. Not everybody else, just her. So how ridiculous for me to impose my covenant with Cindy on someone that we did not make a covenant. That would be polygamy, right? Or, you know, could result in murder. So <laughs> I can't do that. 
I mean, you know, back in the day, and you know, I've done hundreds of weddings now, I've, I've eliminated that, that line that only women had to say, love, honor, and obey. First of all, because none of you guys are going to do it. None of you wives are going <laughs> to obey. So let's, can we just like agree, let's, look, let's just be honest, you're not going to obey. And uh, so I don't want to put a vow on you, you can never live up to. And, um, but Cindy actually did say that vow. So that's our agreement. But I don't walk around to any other woman and say, hey, obey me. You know, that wouldn't work, right? And this, this is what I'm saying. We can't be moralistic about the Ten Commandments. Because you can't impose an agreement on someone who has not agreed to it. We can think it's best for them. We can think it's right. We can think that this is what God has called us to do. But that covenant is for those who choose to follow God, who have confessed Christ today and desire to follow Him. And those Ten Commandments are, are given so that God's people can distinguish themselves from other people, not impose them on other people. Are you tracking with me? That's why it's so important for us today to understand the nuance and the depth of their meaning because they are the, they are the salty and illuminating life that Jesus talked about. Number nine, the Ten Commandments then, they're humbling, aren't they? They're a, new cre- they, they're a recreation. We distinguish ourselves with that. They're the values that God wants us to embrace, but they're humbling too. At first, the Ten Commandments can seem like some pretty simple rules to live by. Everybody should do this until you grasp their full meaning and their intent and their deeper implications. Until in trying to live them, actually living out their full implications, um, you're honest with yourself and you evaluate yourself and their light, they're pretty humbling. Well, we love to pick our favorites, right? And then ignore the difficult ones as we assess ourselves. You know, that's nothing new. There was a young man that came to Jesus in Luke 18, and he, said, he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, well, you, you know the Ten Commandments, right? He's like, oh yeah, I, I've kept all those since my birth. I got that down. And then Jesus highlighted just one for him coveting. And he walked away. He was a good guy, I think. Really good man. Just greedy. That's all. So although it's tempting to either condemn the Ten Commandments as these archaic rules or to embrace them in an inappropriate way in which we use them to condemn others or justify ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, if we stand before God, brutally honest with ourselves, they're just humbling. In fact, the great apostle Paul said the law is humbling in a way that not that it leads us to debilitating guilt, but it leads us to the one person who can help us 
if we humble ourselves. Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may just be justified by faith. That word tutor, maybe your Bible says guardian or instructor. It's Contextually, it's a, it's a servant whose job it was to take the children to school. That's what the law is. The law takes us to school so that we can learn. Law, the law shows us what, no, what incurable sinners we are. How broken we are. That we are without hope before a holy God save for the gospel. That we need Jesus to rescue us just as the Israelites needed God to rescue them from the Egyptians. And by no works of their own were they rescued from slavery. It was all God. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to give you number 10. Okay? The Ten Commandments were never used by Jesus to condemn someone. Instead, he used them as a reason to believe in him. See, the gospel explains why the world is the way it is. Human beings were designed to live in a certain way. God made us a certain way. To live by a code, a moral code. But we don't. We're self-interested. We're self-centered. And, and so often, so self-centered that we can't even see it. But the Ten Commandments are our tutor. It takes us to school to instruct us. And when we, when we honestly assess ourselves in their light, we're humbled by it because we face the reality that we can never live up to that standard. And Jesus used the Ten Commandments to help people see that reality. You're still held to the same standard every human being has ever been held to. Perfection. Because God is perfect. But you and I, we can't do it. We need someone to rescue us from a hopeless situation. And Jesus said, I'll do it. Not through condemnation, but through sacrifice. And Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, the reason why salvation cannot be obtained on the basis of our moral performance is we can't do it. It's impossible. And so Christ took our place. He satisfied the full justice of God and he expressed the full mercy of God. And so if you're a Christian, when you think about the Ten Commandments, don't let it make you angry about the way the world is. Let them create gratitude in your heart for God's grace to you. And if you're not a Christian, and man, there's just so many versions out there today, so many different ideas floating around there. It's like, I, I want to just say this to you. Christianity, to be a Christian, comes from simple belief 
It comes from the recognition that there is a holy standard in this world. The creator God has made it. He has every right to do that. Not because he's a big meanie, but because human beings were designed to be a certain way, and yet we're broken. And yet God is desperate to have a relationship with human beings, so he sent his son to satisfy the justice of God. And we have a relationship with God, not because we're great at keeping the Ten Commandments, but because Jesus, Jesus took our place. And through his perfection, we're made holy and right before God. And all it takes, just like all it took for the Israelites to be rescued, was to walk through what God gave them. He separated the sea. It was nothing that they did. They had no weapons. They, they weren't ready. They couldn't do it. And God made a way for them to walk right across. And all a person has to do to appropriate that relationship with God is to take that step of faith. It doesn't take strong faith. Trust me. It takes genuine faith. That's all. And if you're in that place right now in your relationship with God where you're like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about all that. I want to tell you that in your seat right now, you're driving home, when you put your head on your pillow tonight, if you just say to God, I see it. It's humbling to me that I cannot live up to the standard that you have established, but I receive the grace, the full grace that Jesus gave me. You will be in heaven. And you will initiate a relationship with the God of the universe, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. I pray that, I pray for every one of you, whether you're watching online or you're here in our building, that that sinks in with you. Well, that's a start, the Ten Commandments. Next week, we're going to hit number one. Going to take, take them in order. I'm super excited about this series. I've, been, I've, been, I've loved studying for it. I think that it's going to help you. It's going to help you see them in a whole new light. And it's going to help us as people to live more genuinely in our faith, to live out our faith in the world. Let's stand and worship together. God bless you. Hey, everybody. It's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.